If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Zechariah, we're going to pick up there again as we go through this marvelous book. If you're using a hymn uh, um, pew Bible there, it's 793 on page 793. As you turn there, I, I wonder if you've ever been to an art museum. Um, people have different tastes when it comes to art. I'm, I'm aware of that. Uh, uh, there's different levels of art appreciation. When we lived in Cincinnati, Karen and I would go to the CAM, the Cincinnati Art Museum, and we would see marvelous things. We saw sketches from Rembrandt and the Flemish masters. We saw beautiful things brought out of uh, pyramids in Egypt, whole, whole explays and ex exhibits of these marvelous, marvelous works of art. There was one time I had her accompany me to a modern art museum. It was down a shady alleyway in a rundown building. But when you got up, the lofts were really well done. And each gallery was filled with uh, various types of modern art. I loved it. My wife did not love it as much as I loved it. Because people are different, and they have different tastes. Some people see that uh, odd fusion of color and think it's marvelous. And some people see modern art and say, what in the world is that supposed to be? Maybe that's you. You look at it and say, what is going on here? This is crazy. This is no good at all. Today, we're coming to the first two of eight visions that Zechariah is going to give. These visions he receives in one night. And if you've read ahead, you might have read these visions and walked away feeling kind of like you were looking at some modern art. Like, what is going on here? This doesn't make any sense to me. What, is all, what are these symbols? What are these pictures that, that I'm supposed to be saying? What does it all mean? So as we go from Zachariah's gallery to gallery, and we view these images that are filled with symbols and metaphors, obscure things, some of us may be left standing, scratching our heads, saying, what's it really mean? What's this about? As we go through this, uh, the prophet's gallery here, you might be t tempted uh, to wonder, are these bizarre images, do they have any relevance at all? Do they really even matter? Is this just crazy nonsense? Maybe you will feel as you read uh, Zechariah that his visions are a little bit too abstract for me, that maybe they're not much use in the real world. Well, I hope you'll see even after today that if that's what you're thinking, you couldn't be more wrong, that these visions are important. In fact, verse 7 that we re will read will tell us that on the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Sabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah. That's going to be very 
specific, right? That means that these eight visions that we're going to look at, they happened in the course of one night on February the 15th, 519 B.C. That's about three and a half months after those first six verses that we read. So I want you to picture it. The morning after getting these eight visions, weary-eyed, Zachariah at the breakfast table, after a long, presumably rough night, he's downing the coffee, trying to get ready to preach these eight visions. But he gives us this specific date. And this specific date lets us know that no matter how obscure these symbols may seem, they may feel obscure to us at first when we first see them, you cannot just write them off as some kind of wild imaginations of a prophet's fevered night. These are very specific, given at a specific time by the Lord. They say to us, the Lord will not let us read these and walk away like from an art gallery just shaking our heads, saying, what's that all about? That's too weird to worry about. No, verse 7 says, these visions were given to a specific person at a specific time, at a specific moment in history. All right? These visions are for the real world, for real people, facing real hardships and real insurmountable odds. So don't dismiss Zechariah's gallery here. This is the word of the Lord for us, bringing comfort, encouragement. If your heart is hurting this morning, if your heart is hurting, this is for you. Their hearts were hurting. So as we read verses 7 through 21, I just, I'll give you the outline. I want you to see it as we read through it. Notice verses 7 through 11, the presence of the Lord. Verses 11 through 12, notice peace on the earth. Verses 13 through 17, notice the promise to Zion. And verse, verse, verses 18 through 21, Notice the penalty for God's enemies. Starting in verse 7, let's read the word of the Lord. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Sabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berkiah, son of Edu, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse, and he was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen. And behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. Then I said, What are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. And so the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These or whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord, who was standing among the myrtle trees, and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, 
How long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. And so the angel who talked with me said to me, cry out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts. And the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, says the Lord of hosts. My cities shall again overflow with prosperity. And the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? And he said to me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I said, what are these coming to do? He said, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no, no one raised his hand, and these have come to terrify them and to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. Sends the reading of God's word. So verses 7 to 11, the Lord's presence is there with, we see this in this vision. So Zechariah's eyes are fixed on this man who is riding a red horse. And he rides into the middle of this uh, glen, it's this grove of, of myrtle trees. He dis, dismounts, he stands, he, he walks among the trees. And behind him, we see that there are three troops of horses, and they're all grouped by color, red, sorrel, and white. Well, what's that about? Well, Zechariah asks the same question, doesn't he? Verse 9, he asked the interpreting angel with him, he says, what are these, my Lord? So he, he's as baffled as we are at this point. He's got no idea what's going on. The angel says, I will show you. But then before the angel can say or do anything else, he's interrupted by the man who is standing among the myrtle trees. So today, don't take your eyes off the man who is standing in the middle of the myrtle trees, all right? Don't take your eyes off of him. We learn, verse 11, that these troops of horsemen, they report to him. They've been patrolling the world. This is an angelic reconnaissance unit. And they've been patrolling the earth, and they come back, and they come back with vital information on the condition of the nation. But the report is not given to God but to the man who is standing among the myrtle trees. They call him in verse 11, did you notice what they call him? The angel of the Lord. 
Perhaps you remember from the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is a very significant figure in the Old Testament scriptures. You'll see it time and again. You'll see it in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, that the angel of the Lord met Moses in the burning bush. And then in verse 5 of that chapter, it is God himself who speaks to Moses in the burning bush. And Moses, we're told, hides his face because he is afraid to look at God. In Genesis 16, verses 7 through 13, Hagar is met by the angel of the Lord who speaks to her and says, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered. And then Hagar responds to the angel of the Lord in verse 13 and says, You are a God of seeing. Truly, I have seen him who looks after me. So Moses, in seeing the angel of the Lord, and in Hagar, seeing the angel of the Lord, sees the Lord himself. The Lord himself. The angel of the Lord is the Lord revealing himself to his people. And here we meet him. And here he's standing among the myrtle trees. Now, friends, this is an echo of the Garden of Eden. Remember when God would meet with his people in the garden, in the cool of the day, enjoying intimate fellowship, close, close, intimate fellowship, Adam and Eve and the Lord. That beautiful communion was shattered by Adam's sin. Eden was lost. Eden was forfeited. They are exiled out of the Garden of Eden. They are turned away from the sanctuary of the Lord. And then even in Israel's history, remember how the Lord in his marvelous grace, he came once again to dwell in the midst of his people. This time not in a garden, but in a temple in Jerusalem. His presence was there, yet once again, Israel's sin, Israel's covenant breaking brought judgment, and the temple was destroyed, and the presence of the God of the Lord was lifted, and the people were sent into exile into Babylon, and that's the people who have come back. Uh, they've, they've had a long, hard time in exile. They are broken, and they are weary. And Zechariah comes, and this is the vision that he gives them. The Lord has promised them. In Isaiah 55, so when they were in exile, the Lord promised them through the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, 13, that at a time would come that instead of thorns, instead of a thorn bush, there would grow a fir tree or a cypress. And instead of briars, will grow up the myrtle tree. God has promised to restore Eden. He's promised to come and dwell with his people again. And now in verse 8 of Zechariah 1, you've got this beautiful picture of the moment. 
Here it is, at last, the Lord is coming. He's dwelling. He's in the midst of these myrtle trees. He's going to dwell with his people. The Lord's presence is among his people. In the garden, in the sanctuary of the Lord, made new. The curse is undone. He's dwelling with them in new and intimate communion. Can you imagine the comfort that would be for people They've come back from Babylon, and maybe they're asking questions like this. Are we going to ever get the temple built? Are we gonna, is it ever going to get done? Have we lost the Lord's favor forever? Will we ever know the blessings of heaven again? And what's God's answer to them? He comes and he stands in this, in this myrtle grove in the cool of the day. The Lord says he does not desert his people. He doesn't leave them. And this is a picture. Ultimately, it's going to wait, and it's, it's going to ultimately be fulfilled. Not in a temple that is built in Jerusalem. But it's going to be fulfilled in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes, and we're told, he tabernacles among us. That he comes, and we, uh, we enjoy the close, intimate fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. Zechariah's message here is, here's Jesus Christ. Standing in Eden restored in fellowship with his suffering people. So if you have been brought to a very end of your resources, you, you've been brought to a very end, maybe you here today, you feel that God has deserted you. Maybe you, you have sinned. Maybe you have fallen. Maybe you have wondered, is there any way back? You know, last week we did see, right, that call to return. Maybe you said, I don't know if I can return. I don't know if I can get back. What's God's answer? Believer in Jesus? Fallen? Yeah. Guilty? Yeah. Ashamed? Yeah. Repentant? Yeah. Believer in Jesus? Are you beyond recovery? This text says, Nothing, not death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, or heights, nor depths, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That means absolutely nothing. It means that Christ will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. The Keep your eyes on the one who is in the midst of the myrtle trees. Keep your eyes on him, all right? That's the presence of the Lord that Zechariah points us to. And then notice peace on earth. So the troops come back and they report, right? We've patrolled the earth and all remains at rest. Now that would be good news, right? Imagine, you, don't, you turn on the news at night, no wars. Wouldn't that be good? You don't have to see any screenshots of Zelensky. That'd be great. Imagine, no fighting in the world. That seems like good news. But it's got not good news if you're an enslaved people to a cruel dictator. 
If you're longing for liberation and you're longing for freedom, you don't want quiet and rest. You want the cavalry to come running in. You want some horses and, and troops to come and deliver you. So, what do you see in verse 12? With grief, he begins to intercede on behalf of his people. How long? How long? Just even that phrase, right? That is the cry of the suffering church through every age. Psalm 35, verse 17. It's the cry, the plaintive cry of of the psalmist. How long, O Lord, will you look on? No, come and rescue me. How long, O Lord? Save me from the lion. How long? It's the cry of those martyred saints waiting for vindication in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. How, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long, O oh Lord? And maybe you feel that way today. How long, Lord? How long? How long has this got to go on? But notice this isn't the church that's crying. This is the church's Lord that's crying out. The angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, interceding with grief, and longing. So in verses 7 through 11, the Lord's presence is there. He hasn't deserted us, but even more than that, he's interceding for his people. He's praying for his people. So we can sing, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is written, graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. He ever lives to make intercession for you. If you had a hard month, the Lord himself has been praying for you. He loves you. You're carrying heavy burdens today. You have chronic illness today. You have a loveless marriage today. You have wayward children that break your heart today. You fight with temptation and sin today. You're tired. You're scared. You're, you're just sore. Look to Jesus. Look to the one who's standing in the middle of these myrtle trees. He never stops holding you before God in prayer. He's interceding for you all the time. He loves you. He pleads his own wounds on your behalf. He never stops pleading for you. He never stops crying out over you, how long, O oh Lord, come in grace and mercy to deliver. This is what Christ is doing. And notice the answer. The promise to Zion. The, the Lord's answer comes and it's filled with grace and comfort. These are comforting words. James Boyce said, Jesus' prayers are the mirror of God's decrees. The Lord 
will judge the nations. He will defend his people, verse 14. His presence that we saw in verse 8, look at it in verse 16. He says, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts. A measuring line shall be stretched out over her. The temple will be rebuilt. The city will resume. Prosperity will come to Zion. Well, what are we being told here? We're being told the beak shall inherit the earth. We're being told that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy to be compared to the glory that is is to be revealed to us. We're told that the church militant will become the church triumphant. We're told that the things here, the things that you suffer, they're not the way things will always be. They will not always be like this. Our sufferings one day Saint, one day our sufferings are going to give way to celebration in the new Jerusalem, the holy city, the Zion. Mount Zion will come down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And the dwelling place of God will perfectly be with man. And you know what? He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes on that day. So are you weary? Are you? Well, one day, one day soon, it's all going to change. That will all change one day. God is going to restore the holy city. God will take care of his church. The people of God will come from every tribe and tongue and nation, and they're going to stream in design, and there will be peace there, and the gates of that city will never shut because there'll be no accursed thing there. And God, and the throne of God and of the, the Lamb, they will be there, and his people, they will worship him. And there's going to be no night and no darkness there because the Lamb himself will be the light of that city. And so, remember, while you sit in the rubble of a fallen, broken world, this broken city, while you sit in this rubble, you cling to the promise given to Zion. It's going to change. It will change. There will be peace. There will be prosperity in Zion. And that day, friends, is nearer than the day you first believed. It's nearer than that. So keep sight of him who is standing in the myrtle trees today. And lastly, notice the penalty for God's enemies. Verses 18 through 21. And this is the second vision that we see here, right? And this one may, this was even stranger than the first one. You've got these four horns. What's that about? These horns, it's the ancient symbol for power and strength. We're told in verse 19, these horns have scattered the people of God. Verse 21, these are the nations. They lifted up their power against Judah. They scattered it. You got four horns, these political powers that are opposed to God's people. And then you've also got 
for craftsmen. Now, the, the audience that's listening to this message, they're sitting, they've got this broken down city, walls all over, falling down, it's a wreck, it's an absolute mess. They feel weak, they feel hard-pressed. Remember uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, chapter 4, verse 17? Remember how they've been working on the city when they come back from exile? They've got a trowel in one hand. What's in the other hand? A sword. The trowel and the sword, right? And, and they're, they're trying to build the city and all the while fight off all their enemies that are pressing in among, around them. They're coming in. Man, these are tired and weary people. But these craftsmen in Zechariah, they're not like the city's craftsmen. No, these craftsmen, we're told, verse 21, they come to terrify and to cast down the nations that lifted their power against the land of Judah. All right? They're coming, and they're not going to be, like, trying to build and fight. No, they're going to wipe out those other nations. The Lord, friends, is building his kingdom. And he is not daunted by the strength of this world. So you've got four horns and you've got four craftsmen, right? So whatever opposition comes to the people of God, there are supernatural resources to match every single one of them, right? And they're going to, they're going to, those, those that are opposed to the Lord and his people, they're going to be cast down. Now that's good news then. You can imagine what good news that would have been uh, to the people working in the city. But that's good news now. Good news to us. Those who oppose God, they will be undone. They will be overcome. Greater is he that is in you, believer, than he that is in the world. This is good news because God never forgets the promise that he made to our father Abraham. It says, I will bless those who bless you. In him who dishonors you, I will dishonor you. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Genesis 12, verse 3. And I want to say, if this is true, if God is going to uh, defeat all of his enemies, it is never safe to oppose God. It's never safe to oppose God's people. It's never safe to oppose the church of Jesus Christ. It's never safe to stand against the kingdom of God. So I'll just pause there. If you're here and you're not a Christian, hear this warning. You are not in a safe place. You are in a very volatile and dangerous place. And just as Psalm 2 calls for... Turn, kiss the sun, lest he in his wrath turn on you and you be consumed. Christian, this is good news for us. Whatever the nations throw in us, so whatever hardships will come to the church in America, it's all right. It's okay. 
Let it come. Let lions come. They won't eat your soul. Our God, our King, he will match his enemies blow for blow, and he will triumph over them. Christ is building his church. And you know what? Even the gates of hell. Now, I, Persia, Babylon, the me, hey, yeah, they could not oppose the Lord. But the very gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church. So when Satan comes in his foul breath, in temptation, and he's accusing the brethren, how do you respond in light of this truth? When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all of my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. You keep your eyes on him who walks among the myrtle tree. The same one who is later going to be hung on a, a cursed on a tree outside of Jerusalem. See him. Look to him. From the ruins, from the, from the fall, this crumbled world that Adam has left, you look to Christ who brings triumph. And he promises that in the age to come, there will be true peace. And his promise will dwell forever with his people. You look to him. You trust that promise. And you know if you're not in Christ, he will overthrow you. He will. So friends, these visions, they're for you. Brothers and sisters, these wild visions of the night, they're for you. Whatever your circumstances are right now, you lift up your eyes to the hills to see from where your help comes. You need safety. You look to the Lord, the Lord who made heaven and earth. You see this? You can trust him. You can hope in him. He will be victorious. In Christ, you will be secure no matter what happens in this world. He has you in his hand. Press on. Keep your eyes on him who's among the turtle myrtle trees. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you are holy and good. And we praise you. We praise you for the victory that Christ has won. No power on earth will prevail against him.
sin, Satan, and hell itself. Death thrown down. So Lord, would you help your church to keep our eyes on the Lord of the church? Fix our eyes upon Christ. Lord, I pray for those who are not in Christ, but they hear of uh, the punishment that comes upon those who are enemies of God, and may they look to Christ. For while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. And may they look to Christ and live this morning. Strengthen our hearts that this weary land, this dry, fallen, broken world, fill our hearts with great hope because we know of all the joy and all that awaits us when Christ comes and we are in your presence forevermore. Grant this, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.